Happy Sabbath, indeed. Um, Samuel, tell us, tell us a bit about yourself. Unless you're going to share that in your, in your are you going to share that in the testimony, or? Yeah, I'll, I'll be sharing. Uh, basically, rather than sharing it in one kind of wholeness, I'm just going to break down in my uh, three presentations. But a bit of myself. Uh, I am originally from Indonesia, uh, and I came to Australia at the age of 17. Uh, not speaking even one word of English, not accompanied by parents, not knowing anyone in Melbourne. And that's where I had to repeat my high school again and then uh, finally studied medicine. And uh, my background, I am a cardiologist. So basically, for those of you who don't know, I am a heart doctor. That's what I am normally known. And my subspecialty is interventional cardiology, or I am known also as the plumber of cardiology. So uh, very simple things, you know, just a uh, plumbing business. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And I'll um, give you one more question. Sure. What, what's, what are you passionate about, Samuel? What, what drives you? Sure. My, my passion is evangelism and discipleship. I, I believe that uh, just like Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, page 195, Every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. In other words, every one of us, we have a mission. And our mission is for the salvation of mankind and the reproduction of Christ's character. Thank you so much. We look forward to hearing what you've got to share with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, uh, thank you, Andrew. Uh, thank you, Antoinette uh, and the Committee of Amen for inviting me to be with you all here. Now, uh, I don't know whether this was done deliberately, but uh, I am actually quite, you know, opposite to Eddie Ramirez in many ways. Uh, we share some similarities whereby we have girls only, so I have two daughters. He has uh, three girls. Uh, he, uh, but we share some differences. So, for example, his house is... Uh, up in the mountain, surrounded by forests, etc. My house is actually in the foot of the hills, surrounded by many houses. So that's quite different. Uh, Eddie uh, works in Wima, which is an Adventist institution. I work in Royal Adelaide Hospital, which is a very secular institution. Uh, Eddie deals with a lot of lifestyle. I deal with a lot of lifestyle, but in a very different spectrum. As a cardiologist, obviously, uh, we have to deal with a lot of medical emergency, and I'm going to share with you how to juggle your time with God, even in your busy time. So I'm going to share with you uh, at the last presentation. And uh, so, so we share some differences as well. So I think this is uh, quite amazing, and I hope that throughout all the presentation you will come to experience that there is a common threat in this. And, uh, and uh, it is a principle that I wish we all can take home and can apply it in our daily practice or whatever sphere of influence that we have. And before we begin, I just want to invite you all to pray wherever you are. Father in heaven, I thank you because uh, you have blessed us as a people. You have given us a great health message, but above all, you have given us the gift of salvation. And Father, indeed, I pray that as we study your word this morning, and as we study your word throughout the whole weekend, we will come close with you, because you are indeed the great physician that has ever walked on the face of the earth, and we want to follow your example. Lord, may I decrease and you continue to increase. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, in 2005, Melody Gilberts produced a movie documentary entitled A Life Without Pain. It talks about three girls, one from America by the name of Gabby. Uh, they are, the two of them come from Germany and some other parts of the world. Now, Gabby, for example, featured in this uh, picture here, the girl in blue, is just like any other three-year-old kid. She likes running, she likes reading, she likes playing hide-and-seek with her friends, and so on and so forth, just like normal three-year-old girl would do in their life. But one thing 
that makes Gabby is unique. She does not feel pain and she cannot experience pain. Now, wouldn't it be great to not having pain in your life? I mean, you know what? Uh, imagine if you got punched in your face and you can't feel pain. That's kind of, you know, pretty special, isn't it? Like, oh, you punch me, it doesn't hurt. Or, you know, wouldn't it be great if uh, you cannot experience emotional pain? Because had there been no emotional pain, then there would be no need of psychiatrists, you know, just like our friends Horatio here. There wouldn't be depression, there wouldn't be any anxiety disorder, etc. Wouldn't it be great? You know, uh, the study in Australia uh, emergency department shows that the most common presentation to the hospital is abdominal pain and chest pain. So therefore, it would be great for everyone if we cannot experience pain. And doesn't the Bible say that we're going to a world whereby there is no what? No pain, no sorrow, no suffering, etc. So wouldn't it be great to have a life like Gabby? Well, you know what? The parents certainly do not think so. Gabby was a normal child until she started teething. So one day the father likes massaging her gum and Gabby bites forcefully on his finger and he had to pull his finger and to his surprise, he pulled Gabby's teeth. And Gabby was just a happy girl. She wasn't crying and she wasn't in pain. In fact, as she continues teething, she began to bite every single object. It could be her plastic toys, her books, even her fingers to the point her finger got mangled and damaged. The doctors were so concerned of this behavior, and out of their recommendation, they recommend that Gabby's baby tooth all got pulled out to keep her safe. But the problem is that because her baby teeth got pulled out, her adult teeth came early, and Gabby managed to knock out every single one of them except one tooth. I mean, imagine being the parents, how they feel. This is their girl that they wish to grow normal, and the parents understandably became very worried and very concerned. So the mother began researching and the doctors could not find out what's wrong with Gabby until eventually they found out that Gabby suffered from a condition called hereditary autonomic sensory neuropathy, which is a very rare disorder. But what terrifies the parents the most is that Gabby might go blind. You see, when she turned one year old, when she woke up out of sleep, the mother Look at Gabby and says, oh, there is a bit of fuzzy, you know, in, in her eye. And to her surprise, it's actually a scratch in her cornea. So the doctor trying to protect her, they had to stitch all her eyelid, both of them to keep her safe. But you know what? Gabby managed to pull every single sutures. In fact, the eye got so badly damaged, her left eye had to be removed. And that's why Gabby actually had to wear this goggle to keep her safe. A life without pain. My friends, I believe as I reflect upon this story, that there is a reason why God gives us pain. There is a reason why God allows us, or He inbuilts within us, within our very fiber, a sensation of pain, and that is to protect us. To protect us from physical pain, to protect us also from emotional catastrophe. Because he understands in the world that is subject to sin, he has to give his creation a mechanism to protect them. But I believe there is also the second reason of pain. And the second reason for pain is so that God can draw the people closer to him. And that is your role and mine as a medical missionary on the face of this earth. We are the tool and instruments that God has placed. And this is my firm belief. 
we are just the tool and instruments that God has placed on this earth to be an agent whereby this human being, these patients who suffer from sin, sickness, and pain can meet Christ. That's the very reason why you and I are here today. Today, in our talk, Christ as a great physician, I just want to probe on two things of his example. The first one is his purpose and mission, and the second one is his method. Now, you know, maybe some of you have come across this, etc., and this is just a re revision, basically, but I believe it is important for us to keep revisiting this one. Why? Because it's so easy for us to forget about this. Let's read from the Ministry of Healing, which is my favorite book. I don't know how many times I read this book, and I continue to find something new every time I read it. What is Christ's mission and purpose on the face of this earth? Let us read together the first one. The Savior, what, my friend? Made each work of healing, what? An occasion for implanting divine principles in the mind and soul. This was the purpose of his work. What is the difference between purpose and mission? Are they the same or are they different? Who would say that the purpose and mission are the same? Okay, some says yes. How many people say that purpose and mission are different? Okay, what is the difference? Right, okay, one is the method and the other one is a goal. Uh, anybody else? What is the difference between a purpose and a mission? Huh? Very similar, Very similar. <laughs> yes. One is the motive behind it. Yes. What's the motive? And the other one is the execution of that motive. Yeah, that's right. So, so we, we heard a few answers here. According to Harvard Business Review, purpose is to answer the question why we do exist. And mission is what we do to achieve that purpose. That's basically the difference between purpose and mission. Now, according to Ellen White writing, she says, The Savior made each work of healing an occasion for what? Implanting divine principles in the mind and soul. What about his mission? To bring to man complete restoration. He came to give them health, peace, and perfection of character. So I just want to stop here for a while and meditate upon this word. If we are truly, as I says, God's follower and every true disciple born into the kingdom of God as a missionary, and that is our mission in this world, then Christ's purpose and mission would be mine too, wouldn't it? And the mission is and purpose is so that there is a reproduction of Christ's characters in his fullness in the hearts and minds of men. Now, why I do bring this up? Because, you know, I don't know for you, but for me who practice in the secular world, it is very easy to lose sight on this. It is very easy to lose sight on this. It is very easy for us to just go to work, do what we're expected to do, see patients, give prescriptions, maybe talk to them a bit about spiritual thing. And then after that, I've done my part. I go home, I relax, I enjoy my family, etc. And oftentimes we become so exhausted doing these things, we don't even have any time to do other ministry for the church. Isn't that right? I mean, you know, we were just so exhausted. So whenever people say, oh, can you do a song service this morning? Ah, oh, you know what? You didn't tell me beforehand. I'm not prepared, man. Even doing that becomes a big burden for those who are exhausted. My friend, if truly the purpose of God for mankind is for their salvation and the reproduction of his character, it means our work do not stop when our patients get better. And let me suggest to you as well, our work, in fact, do not stop when our loved ones, friends, or patients got baptized. Do you know when our work stops? Our work stops 
when they eventually become workers for God, when they eventually able to reproduce all of God's characters in their life and make an impact on other people's life, if you know what I mean. So therefore, if that is the end goal, it means we have a long way to catch up. You know why? Because don't you know there are some dead wood in the church? Isn't it right? Sometimes, you know, you just have some people who like to warm the bench, you know, not doing much. They enjoy the Sabbath school. They enjoy the sermon. But when it comes to service, they are the first thing to back off, right? You see, friends, that is the purpose of medical missionary. That is the purpose of evangelism. Let me share with you from the Word of God. Turn with me to the book of John chapter 15. Just very quickly, as we probe into this. John chapter 15. Now, John chapter 15 is a well-known chapter in the Bible. It talks about the true vine being Jesus, and we are the branch. The Bible says in John chapter 15 verse 1, I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bear fruit, he prunes, that it may what? Bear more fruit. My question to you this morning, what is the fruit here that Jesus talks about? What is the fruit here that Jesus talks about? Huh? Character? Okay. Yeah, Galatians 5, 22, 23, right? But the... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Right? That's, that's what Jesus says. But if you turn to John 4, verse 35, Jesus says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, look on the field, for they are white already for, what? Harvest. So my question to you, what is the fruit or harvest in John 4, verse 35? Huh? Souls, that's right. So let us try to combine these two texts together. If we combine the two texts together, and we read again, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may what? Bear more fruit. If we are the branch, and fruit is both character and the harvest of souls, what is this text saying? It means that each member of the Seventh-day Adventist church needs to be a gospel worker, correct? Isn't it right? And every member must bear fruit in two ways. One, through their character in life and produce what? Souls. And may I suggest that our role at times in the church is about picking up all these dead branch, connecting it to the vine, so that they can bear fruit. That is medical missionary. I repeat again, medical missionary does not stop with the healing of your patient. Medical missionary does not stop when your patients or when your friends or when your family got baptized. Sure, we rejoice over that. But medical missionary needs to continue until the fullness of Christ's character got reproduced in the hearts and minds of the people. That's what medical missionary. And that's why it is a high calling. It is a high calling. And anything short than that is not fulfilling the passion of God's heart. Because you know why? God's heart every day is beating for this thing. Every day, God desires for mankind to be saved. Every day, God desires for mankind to meet the life giver, Jesus Christ. Every day, God's heart beats for the salvation of humankind. And I just pray that we meditate upon this throughout this aim. Because you know what? If you forgot everything else that I say, this is the most and most 
important thing for us to take home. Because it is so easy, you know. When we go, be it whatever specialty you are, you can be lifestyle medis- medical practitioners, you can be GP, you can be specialist. If you don't keep this at the back of your mind, every day when you go to work, you will fall short of what God's calling of your life. The first thing is Christ's purpose and mission. Secondly, I just would like to probe on his method in particular. We're going to look into three things, compassion, personal, and education. And I want to share with you some of my experience here. So let's look into the first one, compassion. Now, Ellen White says here in Councils on Health, page 501, let us read this together. The tender what? Sympathies of our Savior were aroused for fallen and suffering humanity. If you would be what? His follower, you must what? Cultivate compassion and sympathy. Indifference to human woes must give place to lively interest in the sufferings of others. The Bible says concerning Jesus, for God so what? Love the world. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31 verse 3, The Lord hath appeared of all unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with what? An everlasting love. Therefore with kindness I have drawn thee. The Bible says in Romans 8 32, But God, who spared not his own son, but delivered him us for, for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, God is a loving and compassionate God. But one thing that really struck me about this statement is this. If you would be his follower, you must what? Cultivate compassion and sympathy. Hang on for a sec. So compassion doesn't come automatically? Like we have to cultivate compassion? You know what I mean? Like, isn't it a gift? Well, I can tell you, compassion doesn't come fully developed. In fact, <laughs> oh, sorry, is your presentation okay? In in fact, as a ve- I, I think it won't. <laughs> but you know what? Compassion needs to be cultivated. In fact, none of the gifts that God gives to us comes fully developed. God cannot bless the Bible study that you never give. Neither can He bless the literature material that you never share. Nor can He bless the prayer that you never offer. All the gifts that God gives to you and I needs to be cultivated. It doesn't come automatically. You know why? Because we as human beings, we are by default indifference to the needs of others. Now the word indifference is actually very deep. You know, notice God doesn't use the word hate, right? Actually compassion, the opposite word is what? Actually hate, right? But God doesn't use that word. Interestingly, God used the word indifference. Indifference means lack of care. Or selfishness. Well, unfortunately, we live in a society whereby we are kind of selfish society. I mean, one way in English word, the word I, <laughs> you know, regardless wherever they are, do, do you write the word I in small letter or not? If it's in the middle. No, right? You have to write what? Big capital letter. That's just one way to demonstrate that we are actually selfish. Everything is about us. You know, if it kind of, uh, if it's not bringing benefit to me, oh, I don't think I am kind of happy to engage in this for long term. You know what I mean? Indifference is the disease of the society. And therefore, Christ says, we have to cultivate compassion. And you know why? Because compassion is Christ's character. And we need to interpret the Bible for the unbeliever. I share with you an example that just happened to us very recently. In fact, this happens last week. That's just very recent, isn't it? Now, there was, uh, basically there is this girl that came from Hong Kong. And uh, she came to study in Adelaide. Her background is, uh, she is a, uh, I believe, a social worker. And she came to study social work in Adelaide. So she's going to be with us for about four years. Now, she is non-Adventist. In fact, she never goes to church at all. Never in her life she's been to any church. 
So she is like green, very, very uh, sort of worldly, so to speak. So when we learn about her coming, we heard about this from one of our friends in Hong Kong. She came, we got in touch with her, and then uh, we asked her, you know, what is your need? What do you need to, you know, so that your transitional life will be easier? So she says, oh, you know, I need to sort out my transport, I need to sort out my accommodation, I need to sort out banks, etc. Well, because I am very busy in the hospital, my wife helps her out. Now, I have two small children, four years old and two years old. So if you imagine, it is actually quite a bit of an effort, you know, to, to do things. It's just like we need Boeing jumbo jet to transfer them out, in a sense. But you know what? We feel that we need to do something for her. So we, you know, so my wife took her to the bank, and in fact, oh, you know, uh, the parking in the city is so short, so they had to run around a little bit. So set up the bank, set these things up, everything, and eventually she says, look, uh, can I go to church? So uh, she, actually, we offered her to come to small group first. We thought that may, may be less intimidating for her, but she said, I want to go to church. Oh, okay, let's come to church. So we pick her up. On Sabbath morning, we pick her up. So she's been to church for about four times. Now, she finds uh, some of the Sabbath school classes a bit overwhelming, so she joins us in the children's Sabbath school, and she enjoys it. Now, last week, uh, during the class, she fell sick. She had this bad stomach pain, and she was pale. She was having sweats, etc. And she said, oh, I'm not well. Can you take me to the doctor? And I said to her, oh, you know what? Uh, it's very difficult for walk-in doctors, obviously, uh, during the weekend. We can take you to the emergency department, but then I know if you're not that sick, you're probably going to be waiting for a long time. So I quickly examined her, ensuring that there is no, nothing sinister, etc., and uh, I did not have anything, but I have my prescription pad, you see. So I wrote up quickly medication, and then, uh, you know, a few young people went to purchase the medication. We gave it to her, and we asked her to lie down. We say a quick word of prayer, and basically, because I was engaged with some other church matter, the young people took turn to actually looking after her pretty much that Sabbath morning. In fact, uh, so while she was sleeping... You know, a few youth just took turns sitting there with her and, uh, and, you know, checking on her, making sure that she's not in shock or anything like that. And uh, lucky we have a few doctors and also nursing staff there. And uh, eventually, after I met her in the afternoon, she says that she felt much better, her pain has subsided, and she is ready to go home. When I was away, she was talking to my wife, and she said, this is the first time I've experienced love. This is the first time I've experienced genuine compassion. Now, let me ask you a question. Would she come back to the church? Most likely, isn't it? We don't know her heart. We don't know where she is standing with Jesus. But one thing we can do, at the very least, is exemplify Christ in our daily life. Sometimes you just have to step out of your comfort zone to express compassion to someone. Sometimes you have to sacrifice. I mean, with this girl, for example, she didn't have Medicare, right? <laughs> sometimes we just have to sacrifice things. And sometimes... You know, a lot of the time, we as Adventists, we have this misconception of being Adventists. We think that Adventists is about giving up bad things. You know, oh, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, so that we can be saved. But sometimes, my friends, being an Adventist means giving up good things so others can be saved. That's what it means. And that's what Jesus was. He practiced compassion. And again, compassion doesn't come naturally. We need to learn to cultivate it. May I suggest, we need to learn to cultivate it every single day of our life. That is the first method of Christ, compassion. How about personal? 
Councils on Health, page 387. From Christ's methods of labor, we may learn many valuable lessons. He did not follow merely what? One method. In various ways, he sought to gain the attention of the multitude. And having succeeded in this, he proclaimed to them the truth of what? The gospel. Now, for many, many years, I am wrestling with my practice. Because in my mind, I felt that I am sure of Christ's calling of medical missionary if I don't go to the foreign land, for example. Sometimes I feel short of Christ's calling if I don't teach full-time lifestyle medicine. Sometimes I feel short of Christ's calling if I don't do, if I don't pray for every one of my patients. Have you ever had that in your life? Whereby you feel that, oh Lord, I feel I am not fulfilling the mission that you have for me. Simply because I don't do what I perceive as what? As ideal. Now, don't get me wrong. All those things are important, okay? I'm not belittling all those things. But could it be, could it be that Christ actually manifests His work not just in one way? He manifests His work in various ways. I'm going to probe with you from the Bible examples itself. Now, if you look into Jesus' miracles, now this is a study on its own. I just want to touch the surface here. In terms of Christ's miracles of healing, Christ only did 18 miracles of healing. Can you imagine that? In his three and a half years of ministry, sure, Christ does heal masses. Christ heals the whole city. But in terms of specific individual case that is being mentioned in the Bible, there's only 18 miracles of healing, three raising from the dead, and five exorcisms. So those are, so basically if you total them all, it's uh, 26. And interestingly speaking, out of that 18 miracles of healing, only five that came to Christ by themselves. The rest of them, either because someone cares enough for someone to bring the sick to Jesus or because of Jesus' compassion. I just want to probe with you now just three texts in the Bible trying to highlight about method of Christ's work. Turn with me first of all to the book of John chapter 9. We're going to look into three occasions, John 9, Mark 10, and Mark 8. John chapter 9 verse 1 to 5. The Bible says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, immediately we are introduced into the reason why this man is sick. Correct? Now, in the Bible, the reason for sickness actually is not just because of the violation of the law of health. Some of them because of genetically or hereditary. Some of them because of this, that the name of God may be glorified. And then continuing on, uh, that uh, this man brought to Jesus, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world in verse 5 and verse 6. The Bible says, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. My question, was there any faith involved in this miracle or not? There is faith, but the Bible is not very explicit about it, if you know what I mean. The Bible did not say that Jesus rewards this man's faith, isn't it? All that Jesus does is that he spit on the ground, makes a spittle, put in the eyes of the man, and asked the man to wash himself in the pool of Siloam, and he came back seeing. The man was blind, and he was seeing. The first and the end result. Now let's turn into the other text of the Bible. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. We're going to look into the, the event of Bartimaeus. Mark 10, 46 to 52. 
The Bible says here, Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you, what? Well, on the first occasion, the man was born blind. And how did Jesus do his miracle? Spat on the ground, mixed with the clay, put on the eye, wash, he got healed. This one, he just cried, Jesus, help me, help me, heal me. And Jesus was willing, he just spoke, and the man was healed. What about the third occasion? And then I will draw the lesson. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 26. This is another occasion of blind men. Mark chapter 8, 22 to 26. The Bible says, Then Jesus came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, See, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Now, this is the first time ever that I find Jesus' miracles is like not spot on. You know what I mean? Normally, yeah, you know, be well, well, spit on the ground, mix, put in the eye, go wash. I can see. This one, he spit on the eye, and the man is like, oh, I still can't see clearly. It's like Jesus wasn't spot on, in a sense, right, when you look into this. But what is the common thread we can find in these three stories? All three of them were blind. They all had the same physical condition. They have the same physical needs. And the physical needs is that they want to be able to what? To see. On one hand, how did Jesus do it? He just spoke to Bartimaeus and Bartimaeus just got better. Secondly, with the man in John chapter 9, he spat on the ground, mixed with the clay. And if you look into minister of healing, that's actually natural remedy. And then after that, the man was restored. Now, for the last man that we read in Mark chapter 8, Jesus just spat directly. Now, I had to kind of probe this a little bit, trying to understand. You know, we as a doctors, we like understanding the pathogenesis, right? Of why, what is so special about saliva? Because, you know, I guarantee if I spit on someone today, they'll not be very appreciative of me, right? So I want to find out what's this, you know, what is this miracle? It turns out if you look into the Jewish Talmud or even some Ayurvedic Indian kind of uh, remedy, so to speak, saliva is, they believe, to contain some enzymes that are able to digest the protein that cloud the lens for those with cataracts. Well, that's what they believe in that time. So may I suggest that Jesus spitting saliva directly to this man is what I call the contemporary medicine. Because ultimately, it was the contemporary medicine at the time, wasn't it? It was the rationalized treatment at the time. So here we have Jesus heals with Direct spiritual healing. Secondly, with natural remedy. And thirdly, with what? Contemporary medicine. You know why? Because Christ did not follow merely one method. Christ used all methods. And you know why Christ needs all methods? Because He wants to reach everyone. If He cannot win somebody with natural remedy, He'll win them with other options. And he'll try to be creative. He'll try to find ways he goes to the end of the earth so that that man can be restored and the character of Christ can be imprinted in the very heart of them. And you know what? I just want to share with you one experience that I had. This happens about a year ago 
when I was in the practice. Now, you need to understand my practice. I practice in Broken Hill. So basically, even though I'm based in Adelaide, but I go there for my rural practice, basically. Now, I started very early, had to wake up at 4 o'clock. And in fact, I always wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So start early, 4 o'clock in the morning, catch a flight to Broken Hill, see about 25 to 35 patients with uh, three to four treadmill tests. Uh, for those of you who knows what treadmill tests, it takes a long time to set up. And then I had to catch the same flight to go back to Adelaide. So, you know, it is actually a very packed day. And sometimes you get nervous when patients actually double or triple book. You know what I mean? Because I might miss my flight. You know what I mean? So, and then one day a lady came to me. So she was referred to me because she had persistent, sustained hypertension for about 18 months. Now, her hypertension is like really scary. It sits about systolic of 180 to 210 for 18 months. Can you imagine? I, I am so surprised she hasn't suffered from heart attack or stroke. Such a high blood pressure. And the reason why she was referred to me, because in cardiology, as a last resort for those that have sustained hypertension, we do what we call uh, renal denovation therapy. And that means we try to ablate some of the afferent nerves in the kidney artery and in the hope that we can sort of cut the communication of this overexcited nerve and in turn that may regulate the blood pressure. Now, obviously, there are pros and cons of this and, you know, there is still debate, but that's not the story of the thing. So the reason why she was sent because of that and every medication that she got put on, she developed resistance. So, you know, out of all this busy clinic, I felt an impression in my heart to speak to her and probe her a little bit more than just talk about hypertension. I still remember her name is Eileen. So I said to her, Eileen, when did this all start? So she said, oh, it started about 18 months ago. Oh, 18 months ago. Is there any event of your life 18 months ago that was traumatic to you or maybe uh, challenging for you? And she became quiet and she began to sob. And she started telling me, 18 months ago, my daughter died of cancer. And about three months later, my husband died as well. I went into this severe depression in my life that uh, I just could not go on. Really, yeah. And you know what? You are the first doctor that has ever asked this question. And you know what? It was very humbling for me. And, uh, and you know, deep inside my heart again, I felt a compelling voice that says, why don't you pray for her? But Lord, I've got 35 patients to see. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very busy, Lord. So, but, you know, the, the voice is so strong. And I, so I said to Eileen, Eileen, is it too offensive for you if I offer you a prayer? Will you be offended if I offer you a prayer? And she said, oh, no, I'm not offended. So may I pray for you? So I pray for her. And I said, Lord, please help her, give me wisdom, and help her also that she may be well, that she may be restored from all her sickness. And when I opened my eyes, she obviously wasn't praying. And, and I thought to myself, oh dear, what have I done? But you know what? I thought I've done what the Holy Spirit has prompted me to do. So I gave her medicine, because I don't think blood pressure of that is allowable. So I gave her medicine. And I learned that she developed you know, intolerance to their tablets again. And I said, oh, Lord, here I'm trying to avoid her from this invasive procedure, and she just doesn't get better. And uh, I am not seeing her for another three months at a time because she apparently went sick. She was diagnosed with bowel cancer. She had to be operated. She suffered from the complication, etc. And I said, oh, Lord, here I was. I was praying for her. And look at the outcome. Nothing positive after that. But when I saw her in three months' time, I saw her with a different complexion. And she was smiling to me, and she said, my blood pressure is so much better now. Really? So when I started measuring her blood pressure, for the first time in 18 months, she's sitting at systolic of 130. And she's able to tolerate all the medications that she wasn't tolerating before. Now, I don't know whether my prayer led to the diagnosis of bowel cancer or maybe, you know, my prayer led her to become sensitive to the medication. I don't know. 
But one thing I know is that as long as we are open to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that God will lead you to minister to the needs of your patients. That's what I believe. Even in the most busy practice that you have. And in fact, it's quite interesting. I spent time with her about an hour probably, and meant to be 15 minutes. And turns out the next two patients did not turn up. So they kind of save anyway. So you see, God has the ways and means to reach out to your patients as long as we are open-minded and we're willing. I just want to skip uh, some of the slides and just go to the uh, last one. And that is education. In Desire of Ages, page 824, she says, To many of the afflicted ones who receive healing, Christ said, Sin no more. Thus he taught that disease is the result of violating God's laws, both what? Natural and what? Oh, hang on for a sec. Does it mean that if we are not faithful in the church, we can suffer from hypertension? Because, the, because here says natural and spiritual, right? So in other words, if we are not so faithful in the church, we too can develop physical disease. And that's what makes Adventist Health Message unique. We don't just believe that our physicality influences our spiritual life. We believe that our spiritual life influences our physical health. That's the completeness of Adventist health message. And that's what we are to teach and share with our patients. But the first question is that, are we a good advertisement for the Adventist health message? That's a deep question, isn't it? Are we a good advertisement of Adventist health message? Are we living our life to the calling that God has given us? Are we living our life according to His purpose? Are we a good advertisement for Him? It's quite interesting. Uh, every time I meet my patients, obviously all of them suffer from cardiovascular disease, right? And uh, whenever they talk to me, I always try to spend at least three to five minutes to ask them how they go to start with so that I can connect more to them. They will tell me about their cows, their bird, their sheep, you know, their favorite AFL football club. You know, something to just for us that we can bond and we can win their confidence. And I began to ask, look, you know what, tell me, how's your diet, how's, and et cetera, et cetera. And one day this guy came to me. Now, in Broken Hill, by the way, you would not believe me, but the average BMI of the patients there is like 35 plus minus 10. I kid you not. They are big and huge. So, Eddie, if you want to set up Lifestyle Center, Broken Hill. <laughs> That's the way. But they are massive people. And you know, because they drink and they, they just don't have a healthy lifestyle. So, this patient came to me and, um, and I began advising him. And then this patient turned to me and said like this. Well, you know what, you look like you're quite healthy, but what do you eat for breakfast? Literally. Asking me like that. I've never had anyone ask me like that. What do you eat? Oh, I said, I eat uh, with Bix, <laughs> the breakfast of the champion. Uh, <laughs> I eat, you know, and then I use uh, almond milk. Uh, most of the time now, I, I make my own almond milk. Oh, really? Yes. Do you, do you put honey? Yeah, I put honey. I put nuts. I put seeds. Really? What do you eat for lunch? <laughs> what do you eat for dinner? Like, he literally asked me anything that I eat. And then finally, I just concluded, I said, look, basically, I adopt what I call a vegetarian diet, you know. And uh, after he was initially very aggressive, he just bowed down and said, oh, well, I better listen then. You know, what does it say? So far, all these patients that are being counseled by physicians, it is just a lip service, you see. As physicians, we rarely provide a measurable, uh, achievable goal for our patients. We just say, stop smoking, without telling them how to stop smoking. We tell them, eat healthily, without telling them what is healthy and what is not healthy. We tell them, you do this, you do that, and patients come back 12 months later, still doing exactly the same thing. And so, after having that conversation with him, I happened to have, uh, you know... Uh, 
what do you call that magazine that we have? Uh, uh, Science, that's right, Science of the Time. And I happen to have that in my bag. And the Science of the Time that I have in my bag is listing all the recipes and so on and so forth. So I pulled that and I said to him, look, for disclosure, this is spiritual material. I said it up front. This is a spiritual material, but I believe it contains some practical information on how you can prepare healthy food. Would you like to browse and have a look at it? He had the time present with his wife, and you know, so he just browsing through it, and he said, Oh, no smoking, no drinking, plant-based diet. And, turned, and the wife turned to him and said, Dear, this must be good stuff. And I said, that is good stuff. So uh, have a read on it. And, uh, and you know, as I said, that's spiritual content. But I believe it allows you some practical suggestion. What, what do I do there? I am sharing the word of God in, a, in not a threatening way, isn't it? By being upfront, yet at the time, it's a medical thing. And you know what, I have so many stories on that one in my practice, but uh, obviously time is limited. I will share in some of the things, but a few things I just want to highlight uh, this morning. First of all, I just want to appeal to all the health worker in this room. Now, you may be physiotherapist, you may be physician, you may be dentist, you may be pharmacist, physiotherapist, dietitian, whatever you are, you are just a tool. Health ministry is just a tool for us to bring patients to meet Jesus. It is a tool for us to link their life with Christ's life. And we pray that God eventually will reproduce His character in His fullness in the life of these people. That is my prayer for everyone, including myself. I need to cultivate that every day in my life. May God bless you all. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.